It is an honor and privilege to come and to preach the Word of God to you tonight. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for preparing our hearts for the Word of God. Go to Joel chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. Kind of an unusual message tonight. The book of Joel. It's just to the right of Hosea. If you get to Amos, put on the brakes and go left. It's a little book called Joel. J-O-E-L. I want to speak from chapter 2 for a few moments. And I just want to jump right in the message if I may. This is kind of a heavy message I want to tell you up front. Uh, Because we're in desperate times right now, our our nation is under attack like never before. Godly values, biblical principles like never before. And I don't be an alarmist. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but I am trying to be a realist. I believe truly we're living in the last days. And I never dreamed America would be where she's at. America has drifted far further and faster and deeper than I ever dreamed uh, that America would drift. I have three daughters And uh, they're older now, but they're growing up in a nation that I don't recognize. It's a different nation. And and we're under attack. And uh, I've never seen a time where God's people have been maybe more discouraged, disillusioned, confused than right now. It seems like, it seems like the enemy's winning. It seems like evil seems to be progressing. And so as God's people, we're wondering, what do we do? I mean, it seems like we're losing ground. We wonder, where are you, God? Are you on the throne? Are you awake? Do you not see what's happening in our country? Do you not see what's happening in our nation? Do you not see what's happening in our schools, in my neighborhoods, in your neighborhoods? Do you not see the drugs on every corner? Do you not see human trafficking in every marketplace? Do do we not see the senseless murders, the hatred, and the violence? Do, Do we not see the conflict? God, do you not see this? What's happening like never before in our lifetime? What do we do about that? This is not the first time God's people have been under attack. This is not the first time God's Word, God's church has been under attack. In fact, in Joel chapter 1, you can go back and read it. I'll just, I could preach it, but let me just save you the time. Uh, in Joel 1, they're under attack. In fact, there's a, a swarm of locusts who showed up and, and has eaten all their food. So they have no food to provide for their family. They have no offering to provide in worship. It's all gone. And so if you look at chapter 1, verse 12, in fact, the Bible says that their joy is disappearing. Their joy has vanished. And I would just suggest to you tonight, as I travel, as I connect with other pastors and churches, I've never seen a time where more churches, more pastors, more preachers, more church members are more discouraged, confused, even a bit depressed because of what's happening around us. So what do we do? How do we as God's people, does anybody in the house say, hey, as far as I know, I'm a Christ follower. I I, I belong to Jesus. Come on, lift your hand up. Put the other one up. Come on, wave them around a little bit. All right, for some of you, that's the most exercise you've done in a week, but good job. All right, so here's my question tonight that I want to try to answer. How do we as God's people, how do we as born-again believers, how do we navigate these last days when we see darkness encroaching? when we see like the enemy is winning, when it seems like the Bible has become outdated, nobody wants to preach the Bible, nobody wants to go to church, nobody wants to live out their faith, how do we navigate these last days? I'm glad you asked. Let me answer that question. Chapter 2 of Joel, verse 1. Here's what the Word says. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. So what do we do? Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Now, wait just a second. Did you notice where we're supposed to blow the trumpet and sound the alarm? The Bible says we're to blow the trumpet in Zion and we're to sound the alarm on my holy mountain. In other words, references to God's people, God's church, to God's house. 
He says we ought to blow the trumpet here. We ought to sound the alarm here. Now, let me tell you, that blows my mind because I'm thinking, okay, our world's in a mess. Our, our nation's ca- cr- crumbling from within. And so I look to Washington, D.C., and I say, you guys need to get your act together. We need to blow the trumpet in Washington. We need to sound the alarm in Congress. We need to blow the trumpet in California. God knows they need it, right? Come on now. If you hear from California, forgive me. But anyway, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm in my holy mountain. You see, revival is not really for the White House, it's for God's house. And it's interesting, with all this discouragement approaching, with all the darkness that is surrounding us, God's Word says very clearly, how should we respond? Not sound the alarm in Congress, not sound the alarm in D.C., Listen, our hope is not in Washington, D.C. Our hope is in J-E-S-U-S. By the way, I don't care who the president is now or who the president will be. The only hope we have is heaven. I lift my eyes onto the hills and where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Listen, if you're looking to Congress for answers to your problems, good luck. Look at your name. Help me preach. You know this now. I've been here a few years. If you do this, it'll go quicker. If I have to preach and participate too, you're going to be here a while. Look at your neighbor and tell them, good luck. Come on, good luck. Yeah. Yeah, the only hope we have is heaven. And so the Bible says to us, it is the church of God. We're the ones. We need the alarm. We need the trumpet. Wake up, church. The church of God has fallen asleep while the enemy has robbed us of our nation. So I've come here tonight just to sound the alarm. Wake up, church. Wake up, daddy. Wake up, mama. Wake up, grandma and papa and mima. Wake up, staff member. Wake up, pastor. Wake up, teenager. Wake up, choir member. Wake up, band member. Wake up, deacon. Wake up, attender. Wake up, church member. Wake up, church. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Somewhere along the line, the church of God has fallen asleep. And we're kind of satisfied. As long as we can pay the bills and keep the lights on, we're good. That's exactly why we're in the mess we're in right now. Boy, we need a stirring. We need a jubilee. We need, a, we need an awakening. That's why God placed it on the pastor's heart, on the church members' leaders' hearts. And Brother Glenn years ago and others have said, man, we need a time where we come together and we seek the holy face of a holy God. Sound the alarm. Would you shout that with me? Come on. Sound the alarm. Oh, you guys want to go home, don't you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that was my introduction. So what happens when we sound the alarm? Let me answer the question for you. Number one, very simple. The fear of God comes on the people of God. When we sound the alarm in in Zion, on God's holy mountain, in the house of God, the fear of God comes on the people of God. Look at chapter 2 again, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound alarm in my holy mountain. Now watch what happens. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is even at hand. Uh, To fear God, you've probably been taught, means a a reverential awe, a holy respect for God. And that's true. But I also want to suggest to you tonight that to fear God means to fear God. To be afraid of God. I know some folks say, well, you know, that's not, the kind of, that's not the kind of relationship I want with God. He's my heavenly father. He's my friend. And I understand that. There is a side of God. But there's also this side of God that he is holy and he is righteous and he is the, he is the judge. 
And there should be a, a holy fear, a healthy fear of God. It's all right to say, I, I, I want to obey God because I love God, but also because I'm afraid of God. Uh, illustration. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Uh, the Bible says there was a time where they were hanging out with God every day. Can you imagine that? The Bible says in the cool of the evening, God would come and they would fellowship and commune with one another, right? But then all of a sudden, they sinned. God shows up. Where's Adam and Eve? They're hiding. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can just jot it down. Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. So all of a sudden, everything changed. They sinned, and now all of a sudden, they're afraid. They're fearful. And so God comes coming along. In fact, in verse 9, he's, he's shouting, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now, it's not as if God did not know where he was. It was just a wake-up call for Adam. And so what does Adam do? He looks to Eve, and he says, get down. Right? Get down. Be quiet. Shh. God's coming. We can hear him. Adam, where are you? Shh, don't say anything. Can you imagine trying to hide from the God who spoke the bush into existence? I mean, it's kind of humorous, isn't it? Kind of crazy. But we do the same thing, don't we? In many ways, we do. Example, you've worked all day. You're tired. You get home. and Man, you put on your most relaxing clothes. You sit in your favorite chair. You got your remote in one hand. You got a sweet tea so big you can drink it or swim it. In your other hand, you're thinking, oh, this is so great. And all of a sudden, there's a knock. Now, wait a second. When you get home, you, you, when you, you pull in that garage and you lock everything down. I'm telling you, you shut the garage door. You turn the security system in. You bring the Dolman pinchers out. You put the floodlights out so if somebody walks by, all of a sudden, there's a spotlight on them. I mean, we just, when we get home, we, this, it didn't always used to be that way. My generation and older, you remember a time you didn't even lock your front doors. You might even go to bed, so we didn't even lock the front door. My grandma, she would never, I didn't even know her garage door shut. She just left it open all the time, and people just pull up in the driveway, walk right in the garage door, right in the back door. Hey, Catherine. No, no, not nowadays. Oh, when we get home nowadays, boy, we shut her down. I'm telling you, we hunker down, man. We turn all the lights off. We set the security systems. We bring out the guard dogs. I'm telling you, we, we hunker down. All of a sudden, you're sitting there in your chair, and there's a knock at the door. And what do you do? Get down. Now, 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 it's only like 7.30, right? But you're thinking, who's the... Nobody knocks on doors anymore, right? We don't do that. Are you kidding me? It's like calling my teenagers on the phone. My, my daughter, my 20-year-old daughter said, Dad, why are you calling me? Send me a text. I said, I'm calling you because I pay for the phone. Answer it or I'll take it back. <laughs> anyway, that's just, some free, that's just some free parental advice there. Anyway, so, so anyway, so here you are, right? There's a knock at the door. What do you do immediately? Shh, who is it? And you, if you're married, you look at your spouse. I don't know. I don't know. It's down. Right? And you say, turn off the television. Right? Turn the lights down. And your kids are playing. Be quiet. There's a killer at the door. Be quiet. Right? It's just because nobody knocks on the door. And then you army crawl over to the front door, don't you? Right? And you're hiding behind the furniture. And you, you get up by the door. And if you've got a people or maybe the curtain, and you look out there, well, there's Brother Troy standing there on the porch. What is what is he doing there? Yeah. Crazy stuff, right? Cra Why, here's a question. Why was Adam and Eve hiding? Answer, they were afraid of God. Could I just say if more people feared God, we'd be in a lot better shape today? 
we have a generation of folks now who celebrate their sin, right? Parade their sin and mock God and His Word. But I've been sent here to remind you, the Bible says, one day every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And one day every tongue will confess. Mark this down. One day every atheist will confess. One day every agnostic. One day every scoffer. One day every doubter. One day Oprah will confess. One day, Lady Gag Gag, she will confess. One day, I'm telling you, every CEO, every president, every leader of every nation, one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. And you can confess Jesus is Lord here or there, but make no mistake about it, one day you will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! And the fear of God comes on the people of God. Secondly, the people of God return to God. Watch what happens in our chapter. Our text, verse two, chapter 2, look at verse 12. Now, even now, some translations say. Would you just say that with me? Even now. Come on. Even now, says the Lord. What? Turn to me. Now watch this. With all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend or, or, or tear your heart. That means to repent with all your heart and not just your garments. He says it again a second time. Return to the Lord your God. Notice the urgency. He says, now, therefore, even now, do it now. Don't wait, church. This is the night God brought you. It's not an accident. Well, I just showed up. Somebody invited me. No. God sovereignly and divinely and supernaturally brought you here to this night to change your life and change my life. I don't want to go back to Birmingham the same way I came. Return now. Don't wait. Don't wait for the crowd. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Don't wait for the kids to grow up and leave. They'll come back and bring more with them. Don't wait till you feel like it. Don't wait for the crowd to join you. Even now, even now, even now, return to me, return to me, return to me. And maybe God orchestrated this jubilee just to reignite the fire in my life and your life. Notice how we return to him with all our heart, all my heart. Would you say that with me? All my heart. Come on again. All my And notice with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. May I ask a sobering, penetrating question? Where are the tears in the church? My church, your church. Where's where's the fasting? Where's the weeping? Where's the brokenness in the church? We've become so sophisticated. But we know how to do church. We know how to organize it. We know how to administrate it. We know how to draw a crowd. We know how to whip people up in a frenzy. We know how to handle the lights. We got technology. We got facilities. We got programs. We got activities. But my question is, where is the brokenness? Where's the Holy Ghost repentance? Return and repent. Repent and return. Repent and return. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Charles Finney, a great evangelist from years gone by in the 1800s, this is what he said. And they've got it on the screens, yes. Look at this. Here's what Charles Finney said. The first step is a deep repentance, a breaking down of heart, 
a getting down into the dust before God with deep humility and a forsaking of sin. If you don't know Charles Finley, become acquainted with great revivalist of the 1800s. It's like he wrote it yesterday. Sound the alarm. Number three, the church of God will come together when you sound the alarm. Watch verse 15 of our text, chapter 2. So blow the trumpet in Zion, there it is again. And consecrate a fast. Now watch this. Call a sacred assembly. Call the folks in. Call them to church. Call them together. Gather the people. Look at verse 16. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the leaders. Gather the children and the nursing babies. Do you see this pattern here coming together? Listen, I'm not an expert, but I have seen and I have experienced some pretty phenomenal movements of God. And in every instance, there was a unity which permeated the church. Folks were repenting. They were getting right with one another. They were hugging one another's necks. That was before COVID. They were loving on one another. They were laughing. One by. There was this unity, I'm telling you, a divine unity that would break the enemy's bondage of bitterness and hatred. When revival happens, the church of God comes together. You'll never experience a mighty move of God fighting with the people of God. I believe God's just waiting to pour out His presence, His favor, His glory, His power on a church. And I wonder if He doesn't say, oh, could it be tonight? They're gathering there in, in Lebanon. Man, they're getting at Hillcrest. Man, tonight, gather around here, man. You're going to see people hungry and desperate. This is going to be an item I'll pour out my spirit. What, what God typically finds is churches that are complaining and whining and all upset and in a tiff with one. You think God's going to show up for the places in conflict? Nobody asked me to say Nobody gave me a key to the thermostat. Had your lady say to me the other day, Preacher, somebody sat in my seat. And with all the love and compassion, I've been there 17 years now, I just said, Well, evidently you need to get here earlier. <laughs> I mean, you imagine uh, the, the coffee's cold. We ran out of donuts. I'm going to go to that church down the road. They got blueberry donuts. <laughs> Nobody asked me to sing. That's because you can't sing, Bubba. That's why they didn't ask you to sing. I'm just saying to you, I don't have it all figured out, but I do know this. I have seen this pattern in God's Word. I mean, when the people come together and they're so passionate to seek the face of God and they're so hungry and desperate for a move of God, they're not concerned about where you sit or where you park. They're not concerned about the music. They're not concerned about whether you stand or you sit, whether you clap, whether you lift. They just want to hear from heaven. When you get that hungry and desperate for God, He will show up. But listen to me. He's not going to pour out His Spirit in a place that's always in conflict. My, my family, uh, we have vacationed for years down in Florida. My girls are older now, but for 25 or 30 years, we'd go down there. When they were younger, uh, they'd want to find some seashells. And so my wife would get a beach chair and she'd get set on the beach there and I'd get that little green bucket and I'd get that strong, real st sturdy, little plastic yellow shovel about six inches long, right? And we'd get out in the water there, me and my, my girls, and we'd dig in the, in the beach there, dig in the water, in the ocean, two or three feet of water, and we'd find a shell and we'd, we'd wash it off and we'd put it in the bucket, right? And we'd find another and put it in the bucket. We'd been there maybe 20 minutes at most. And I turned around. And in that 20 minutes, in 20 minutes, 
someone had picked up our condo and had moved it all the way down the shore. <laughs> I, 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 I looked and, and, and they, they picked my wife up too in her beach chair and moved her all the way down the shore. We were in Florida and uh, there was a, a family that had asked to go out to eat, wanted to grab dinner with us and have us over to their place. They had a, a, a vacation spot there and and so they said, hey, we're both in, at, in Florida at the same time. We said, well, sure. So Kim and I went and got some uh, food with them and afterwards went and like get a cup of coffee or dessert at their house. And we, we went into their, their trailer there in, uh, in Florida and we walked in. They had a little, little dog, like a little chihuahua. And uh, the whole time I was there, it was nipping at my heel. And like it was going to just eat me alive, you know. And it just... And, and there's this husband and wife, our friends go to our church, church, and then there's my wife, and I'm looking at my wife saying, like, do they not notice this, you know? And I'm, I'm trying to carry on a conversation, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, you don't say, and the weather's good, and it, this whole thing, it just, you know, it's just, it's fun. I could have killed it, and I wanted to kill it, but it wasn't my dog, you know? And so I kept trying to shoo it away, and shoo it away, and shoo it away, thinking, surely he's going to do something eventually, right? And I'm looking at my wife saying, this is the craziest thing ever. This must be some kind of backslidden deacon. I don't know what this is. Some demon-possessed chihuahua. I don't know what it is. And, and finally, I don't know, after 15 or 20 minutes, finally, the, the, the fellow, he leaned over, and he thumped that dog right in the head. Bam! And he said, stop it. We don't act that way. And that little chihuahua stuck his tail between his legs, had one little hallway down, and he went down that hallway just whining the whole way. All the way down to the back bedroom. We got in our car, and I looked at Kim, and I said, you know, wouldn't it be good if we could do that with some church members every now and then? You know, just whine. Somebody sat in my seat. Pow! Stop it. We don't act that way. Tell my folks, you know, I'm not going to tell my folks when I'm I'm on my last Sunday, I'm going to go around thumping people in the head. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Boy, I've been wanting to do this for 20 years. Pow! Stop it. We don't. I'm just saying, when you get hungry and desperate for God, all that silly stuff dissipates and disappears. When you sound the alarm, sound the alarm. Number four, the church leaders will weep for revival. Watch verse 17. And let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Hear me tonight. When you sound the alarm, the response will be that the leadership, the church leaders will weep at the altar for God. Now hear me please. The priest, the, 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 in, our, in our vernacular, this would be the pastors, the staff. The deacons, the teachers, the musicians, the choir, the, the, the leaders, the Bible teachers are weeping at the altar, begging God to move in their lives and in the life of our church. Listen, I tell my staff, we can't lead people to a place we haven't been and we cannot give what we don't have. Where's that kind of passion in our churches? The leaders are weeping for revival. Listen, I wouldn't stay a skinny second in a church where the leaders do not seek the face of God, weeping at the altar of God for revival. It's not about your talent. God uses your talent, but it's not about your talent or your experience or your education. Those are not evil. They're wonderful tools. It's not about your skills. No, no, no. It's not about your suave personality. How long has it been since you've been at the altar weeping for revival? 
Churches have become businesses run by CEOs using marketing strategies rather than the people of God in the house of God, seeking the face of God, in the presence of God, hearing the man of God, stand in the pulpit of God, and preach the word of God for the glory of God. Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! I'm telling you, our churches now, we have gifted communicators and, and engaging teachers and incredible storytellers with their skinny jeans and their pretty hair. But what we need are some old-fashioned men of God who stand in the pulpit of God and preach the Holy Word of God with the Holy Fire of God and the Holy Anointing of God. Can I get a witness in the church? The other day I had someone say to me, you know, I, I, everybody has a different style, and I get that. But this dear lady said to me, hey, I, I like your preaching. It's old-fashioned. old-fashioned. And I said, do you know why you think it's old-fashioned? Because you don't hear people preaching the Word anymore. So it seems old-fashioned. It wasn't that long ago that you could go to any church anywhere in any neighborhood, and you'd have a man of God stand up there, and he'd preach a cover off the Bible. But that's not true anymore. We have great talks, wonderful pep, pep rallies, how to be a better parent, how to raise great kids, how to have a successful life. Where are the men of God who stand the pulpit of God and say, Thus saith the Lord. Listen, I know it's not popular, and somebody might unfriend you. And the culture just might counsel you. Now, I know the Hollywood mocks it. The social media can't stand it. But I want to tell you, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You better, you better find you a church. You better find you a preacher. You better find you a staff. You better find a place that will stand on the truth of God's holy word in these last days because it's going to become increasingly unpopular and more difficult to find folks who will truly preach the word of God because when you preach the word of God, conviction hurts. Conviction's not fun. Nobody wants to go to church. I want to go to church and get convicted tonight. Sounds like a disease, doesn't it? I don't want any of that. Conviction hurts, but conviction's good. Y'all remember when medicine used to taste bad? Nowadays, medicine's so great. They've got it so doctored up and got so much sugar in it. You know, you, you can buy flavors, grape. And I tell my girls, when, I, when we had medicine, it tasted like battery acid. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You'd scrape your knee. Remember, they, they'd spray you. put iodine on it. Oh! Spray it with like Bactine. Put some of that stuff on it, right? And my mom said, I know it hurts, but it's good for you. I said, couldn't walk for a week. You know, I'm telling you, the conviction of God may not be fun. It may not be easy. But it's what we need more than anything else. It's why this nation's in a mess. Because we no longer preach the truth of God's holy word. We're afraid of offending someone. And I hear my heart tonight. So we come skipping into church and we sing our little ditties. We preach our cotton candy sermon so everybody feels good. Make sure we don't hold them more than 47 minutes so they'll come back next week or next month if they have nothing better to do. I ran into a young couple in my church, kind of humorous, and they were in the publics. I could tell it stunned them when you come around the corner and there's the preacher. Like, oh, good grief. I just wanted some eggs. Why do I have to run into him? Well, because eggs are $15 a dozen now. That's why. So. And I just said to them in passing, hey, man, good to see you guys. Man, I hadn't seen you in a while. Our pass hadn't crossed. And they said, just, just matter of fact, oh, yeah, we were there last month. 
I said, you do know we meet every week, don't you? <laughs> One of my favorite revivalists is a guy by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard went home to, to glory. Listen to me now. Let's stay here. I'm almost done. Hang with me, all right? 1994, he passed away. 29 years ago, he passed away. A great revivalist. If you don't know Leonard Ravenhill, Google him. Look him up. Uh, you'd be blessed. And this is what he said. And this had to be at least 30 years ago. If he said it on his deathbed 30 years ago. If he said in the prime of his ministry more like 50 years ago. Listen how appropriate it is for the day and age when we're in right now. This is what Leonard Ravenhill said. The church right now has more fashion than passion. We're, we're really more concerned with our presentation than we are the presence of God. The church is now more pathetic than prophetic. It's more superficial than supernatural. Wait just a second. 50 years ago. Sounds like he wrote it this morning. What do we do? Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! Sound the alarm! Number five. I've only got six. Are you okay? You all right? Look at your neighbor ask him, are you okay? Some of you are not sure. Some of you are barely breathing right now. Don't move. He'll call you out. Don't move. Number five. When you sound the alarm, God responds and His people rejoice. Now watch this. Verse 23 and then verse 27. Watch verse 23. Be glad. Some in the house say be glad. glad. Yeah, the word says, uh, you know, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. One thing I love about Hillcrest, I love your passion. There's a little energy. There's a little enthusiasm in this place. I love that because God's not dead. We worship Him like He's dead, but He ain't dead, my friend. So thank you for gladness. Thank you for the joy. Be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice. Somebody in the house say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord your God. Why? Verse 27. Because you will know that I am in the midst of you, in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. And there is no other. And my people shall never be put to shame. There is no God like our God. And when God does what only God can do, not what a church can do, not what Hillcrest, not what Gardendale First, not what a denomination, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Methodist, no, not a denomination. When God does what only God can do, God alone gets all the glory. May it be so, Lord. When we realize once again, there is no God like our God. Our only response is to rejoice. Have your sins been forgiven? Anybody in the house had your sins forgiven? Listen, two or three of you need to tell your face. Evidently, it ain't got the message. Yeah, I've been forgiven. Really? Got your lips stuck out so far you can sit on it and swing your legs? Oh, when he saves you, listen... Brother Troy should never have to beg you, prompt you, or motivate you to rejoice. Listen to me. I, I'm getting older. My, 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 my 20, I just have one girl now in the house left, 20, 20 years old. She walked in the other day, 20-year-old daughter, the last girl at home. And she says to me, our Sunday morning service is on uh, ABC in, in Alabama. It's on, on Sunday morning television. We record it and show it every week. My, my, daughter, my 20-year-old daughter comes to me and says, Dad, um, you need to dye your hair. 
And I said, why? And she said, well, because it's, gone, it's really great now, Dad, and you're on TV. You, need to, you, you really need to dye your hair. And I said, I'm not going to do it. And she said, why? And I, and I have three daughters. And I said, because I want people to know the price I have paid living with four women. Yeah. When you sound the alarm, God responds. It, it isn't that God's in heaven saying, I don't know if I want to pour out my spirit. Man, I don't know if I want to stir my people. I don't know if I want to send a movement and awaken. No, no, no. God's ready to respond. He's just waiting on us. God has been far better to me than I deserve. Anybody in the house, could you give a witness to that? Where's that kind of passion? Where's that urgency? Where is that? A few years ago, we had one of those great God days. God just set out on the house. And they're just, God, God's always there and we give God the glory. But some days are just more heavy than others. You know what I'm saying. And this was just one of those days, man. And God just, man, the worship was just incredible, powerful. And, you know, I, that Sunday, I think the preaching was on point to God be the glory. It didn't every week, but I thought it was. And, you know, folks responded. We had folks baptized. We had folks at the altar. And we had wooden steps, man. You could see tears on the, you could literally see the tears on the altar. And, man, folks were just, it was just a, it was, it was just a great God day, man. It's just one of those incredible days. It's one of those days you say, man, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I mean, you just, you were just so pumped, man. It was good to be in God's house. It was just a great God day. And so after the service, folks are milling around and leaving finally. And one dear lady begins to walk toward me, an older lady. And I thought, well, she's going to come down and speak life into me, going to encourage me and say, preacher, what a great day to God be the glory. I was just ready to kind of, you know, just ready to receive her encouragement. And she walked up to me and she said, preacher, I said, what? She said, the choir chairs aren't centered. <laughs> I, I said, excuse me? She said, the choir chairs. We got too many on the left, not enough on the right. They're not centered. <laughs> and I said, is that what you got out of the service? Man, I'm telling you, the choir knocked it out of the park, the praise team and our band and orchestra. And man, we had folks at the altar. We baptized and people got saved and joined the church. And, and you're worried about the choir chairs being off. I said, girl, that ain't the only thing that's off. <laughs> Listen, no wonder our nation's in a mess. I mean, where is that holy urgency? Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be drawn near to God, and he will draw near to us. The Bible says, with our lips we praise him, but our hearts, my heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, my heart is far from him. Oh, is anybody in the house going to sound the alarm? Is any preacher, is any pastor, is any church going to say, hey, listen, not on my watch. Enemy, you're not getting my kids. You're not getting my grandkids. You're not getting my school. You're not getting my preacher. You're not getting my staff. You're not getting my church. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. God responds and people rejoice. Lastly, I would say the Spirit of God falls. Look at verse 28. And it came to pass afterward, watch this now, that I will pour out my spirit 
on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maidservants and on my maidservants, men servants and maidservants, watch this, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I say, oh God, may it be so. If we ever needed Holy Spirit power, it is now. I'll guarantee you Nashville and Lebanon is much like Birmingham. We got a church on every corner. In Birmingham, we have, I, I tell folks we have more churches than we have Walmarts, Targets, and Dollar General stores put together. They're everywhere. And I'm not down on churches, hear my heart. But there's a church plant, a church start everywhere. Every, every movie theater that's empty, every shoe store, every department store, they just, they're just everywhere. I, I'm all for planting churches. I'd I, I like to plant them in areas where there aren't churches and where there are people who need. But beside the point, I'm just simply saying, here's the point. We have more churches than we've ever had. They're everywhere. But we have a bigger mess than we've ever had. How do you explain that? Evil is increasing on every hand. Darkness surrounds us. Drugs on every corner. Human trafficking in every marketplace. Don't, don't, don't be naive. Go to your elementary school. Go to your middle school. You, you just open your eyes and see what's happening. I'm not trying to be alarmist. I'm not trying to manipulate your emotions. I'm just simply saying we have more churches than we've ever had, but we don't have God's power. Churches have become so slick and organized, but we don't have the anointing of God. Our nation's falling apart. Is anyone going to sound the alarm? Spirit of God, fall. Spirit of God, fall. Spirit of God, fall. In those last days, he said, I will pour out my spirit on you. God, may it be so. May it be so. Let me give you one more quote and I'm done. I don't, I don't think I sent it to you all. I may have. I don't remember. But I want to read it to you. Oh yeah, I did. Okay. I didn't know if I did or not. Yeah. I want you to see this quote. And uh, this is something that it's not, not really profound, but it's out of a desperate heart for revival. I wrote this many years ago. In fact, when I was at my church in Louisville, Kentucky, at Valley View. I want you to hear this. This is, I'll just land the plane right here. We, the church, us, me, you, us, we're not responsible for when and how God moves. He is sovereign. That means He can do anything He wants, anytime He wants, anywhere He wants, with anyone He wants. However... We are responsible as a church for creating an environment, an atmosphere where if and when God is ready to move, we are ready to receive it. And hear my heart. I don't, I don't mean to be critical. But I fear... Churches on every corner, meeting, singing, fellowshipping, preaching. They're doing church. But we're not really ready to receive the presence of God to show up. We're not ready. What a tragedy it would be when we get to heaven and God says, Man, you remember that Sunday night? Boy, I was ready to just do a deep, fresh word. Boy, I was ready to pour out my spirit. But you weren't ready. 
You weren't ready. You were distracted. Your heart wasn't in it. You weren't broken. You weren't desperate. You're just checking a box because that's what you do at Jubilee. You show up. There's got to be some folks here would say, I'm not leaving here the same way I came. Could you just admit with me tonight that maybe your fervor, your, your passion, your fire for God, could, could you just admit that maybe it's not where it used to be? It's not as hot as it was. I mean, you don't get excited about church like you used to. You used to couldn't wait to get here, man. Hey, you used to couldn't wait to be here, right? You couldn't wait for God to move. But you've kind of grown distant. We, I've done it. We've all done it. The music doesn't move you anymore. Oh, it's good. It's fine. It's great. They, they're, oh, they sound good. But I don't know. It doesn't stir my spirit like it used to. And, and the preaching, yeah, it's, man, it's biblical. It's on. I can tell he's stuck. I, man, I can tell he's been with Jesus. But I don't know how to put my finger on it. But the preaching just doesn't stir my soul like it used to. I just, I just feel like I'm kind of going through the motions. And it could be a number of reasons. COVID really kind of stole it. In fact, I always tell folks, COVID only accelerated what was already happening in the church. He just put it on the fast pace. It was already there, a falling away, a, a discontent, a lethargy, a, a, a lack of passion. It was already there. COVID just kind of gave us an excuse to run on down the road that we were already headed down. Come on now, don't get quiet on me when I'm preaching. And it could be COVID has stolen your joy. It could be all the political unrest and all the conniving and lying and deceiving and all that junk and mess and back and forth between the parties. It's like, oh, it just, it's just, I don't, it's just, it's wore me out. Or it could be, it could be all the, the you know, China and Russia and Ukraine and what's going to happen? Are we going to go to war? Are we, what's going to, it could be the, the budget, finances. I don't know. Are we headed to recession? Are we going to, are we going to go into a, a, another depression, a great depression? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe your life's falling apart. Maybe you're battling cancer or disease or maybe you're going through a horrible divorce or maybe your kids are running every which way but the right way. I don't know. It could be anything. But could you just put your finger on it tonight and say, you know, Pastor, to be honest with you, my fire's not where it used to be. You remember the illustration? Kim and the condo? Listen, they didn't move. Me and the girls moved. We did what we call drifting. Now watch this. I'm done. Here's the scary part. We didn't realize it. We didn't even know what was happening until we looked up and we thought, oh, there's the condo. There's mom. We moved. We didn't know it. They didn't move. Hey, listen to me. God hadn't moved. We moved. I've moved. You've moved. And God says to you tonight, come home. Maybe tonight's a wake-up call. You say, I didn't even realize it. You know what? My fire's not like it used to be. It's true. I, I'm not excited about church like I was. The music doesn't move me. The message doesn't engage me. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I know I'm a believer, but I just don't have that fresh anointing of God. I see it now. Why? What does God want me to do? Come home. Come home. Come home, sound the alarm, sound the alarm, sound the alarm. And God will respond and his people will rejoice. So here's what I'd like to do tonight. I appreciate the leadership giving me freedom. If you could just come and just, just play a little bit of music if you would. You could sing in a moment if you'd like to. But I want to ask, listen to me first, hear me now. 
I want to ask the leaders of the church. Anybody and everybody can come in a moment. But I want to ask right now for the leaders of the church, if you would, if you feel led, don't let me manipulate you, but if you feel led, it's the leaders that lead the way. They're the ones weeping at the altar for revival. I'm going to ask the leaders to come, whoever that may be, staff members, uh, folks that lead in worship, if you teach life groups, Sunday school classes, deacons, greeters, ushers, if you help with shuttles out. I don't know. I don't know what you're... But if, if you're in some form of leadership, I want to ask you if you'd come first. Men and women, come by yourself. Come with friends and get on your knees and ask God for a movement in your church, in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your pastor, in your staff. Leaders come. Come on. Maybe you work in the children's ministry or the, or the student ministry, the youth ministry, music ministry, education. I don't know who it is. I'm just asking you, hey, listen, I'm a leader. I'm a volunteer. Maybe I have a big place, maybe a small spot. But, I, but I, I'm telling you, I am coming to the altar to ask God for a move. Yeah. And if you'll just play, just play a little bit. And I just want to ask you leaders just to cry out to God. Ask God for a move in your heart, in your life. I called my wife sitting in the parking lot just a few minutes ago before I walked in here. And I said to her, man, I, I don't want to come back the same way I came. And she said, I hope you don't anyway. And I, uh, I, I don't want to go back and say, I, I'm not, we're not here for a presentation. Hey, listen, man, they, they, it's, it's a dark, we're, these are desperate times, folks. The Bible calls them perilous times, terrible times, the Bible says. That's what we're living in. And we can't afford for the church just to come and sing a few ditties and eat a donut, drink a coffee, and go home. We need a movement of God in our churches. I want our kids and grandkids to grow up and see a church that's on fire with the power of Almighty God, the anointing of God. Here's your leadership. Church, just for a moment, you may be a guest, and if you are, that's fine. But I want to ask you as a church body just to stretch your hands out towards your leadership. Would you do that? Just all across this place. Yeah, if you're not used to that, just stretch your hands out toward the leadership as they pray and seek the face of God tonight. They carry a burden. I often say the enemy fights what he doesn't like. And if he's going to destroy the church, he'll start with the leadership. Make no mistake about it. He'll try to cause conflict with the leadership. He'll, he'll try to cause issues with the leadership. This is where he'll start with the leaders. I tell my staff to start with us. I tell my deacons, 42 of them. I tell them, hey, look, you, you better be alert. Put on the full armor of God because he'll come after this church. He'll come through you. He'll come through you. You've got to be alert to that. And so church leadership, we pray over you tonight. You can't see it, but I can. You have a church full of folks that are stretching their hands out toward you. Members and even visitors, guests tonight, who know how important this day and age is right here. They're asking God for fresh anointing. Have you grown stale? I've been there. Yeah. Cold and indifferent, frustrated, overwhelmed, depressed. Yeah, I've been there. Fresh oil, fresh anointing tonight. Mm. Yes. Oh, I see the tears. What a beautiful sight that is. God bless you. Oh, God bless you, church. God bless you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Yes. Fresh oil. Oh, God, speak to us tonight. Anoint this leadership for such a time as this.
This is the season you have them here, God. And it's not by mistake. It's by divine design. So God, for such a time as this, would you anoint them with fresh power, with the presence of your almighty God. Fill them from the crowns of their head to the soles of their feet and go before them and come behind them. Would you be their deliverer and their protector and their provider and their helper and their healer? Oh God, would you be Jehovah Jireh in their life, their great provider, God. Anoint them for such a time as this. And then across this congregation, man, all of us, my hand is lifted tonight. I need a fresh touch from God, Lord. Oh, pour out your spirit on us, Lord. We magnify you. We adore you. We we bless your holy name. God, we're your people, and these are perilous times we're in. Our world, our, our nation's falling apart while the church is playing games. Oh, God, stir a fire in this place. And would you use tonight and use Jubilee, God, to, to start a, a movement in this place. May it begin in me tonight. May it begin in this place tonight, Lord. Mm, we bless your holy name.